We're back in 1 Corinthians, and the, the title of today's message is The Message of Unity, uh, which is Jesus Christ Crucified, and we're going to look into that. Our theme, if you catch nothing else, our theme for today is the response to division is the gospel of the crucifixion. Even kind of rhymes a little bit, which I like. So the response to division is the gospel of the crucifixion. Two weeks ago, as we read through uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we learned that Paul is in the process of setting the theological groundwork for his plea back in chapter 1 verse 10 to the Corinthian church not to be divided. And Paul is exhorting the church to be a gospel-centered community, which means that the church, the community, the people of God are to view all of their life through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the death, burial, resurrection, and return of King Jesus. Now, Paul made some incredible statements in chapter 1, and I'm going to summarize them uh, in my own words like this. He said something like, The great, incredible, almighty God has saved you. By grace he came in the flesh, in weakness he died on the cross, in power he rose from the dead, and in glory he's going to come again. And God in wisdom created this intricate story, this cosmic reality centered on the crucifixion of Jesus. And through his death, he paid the price for your life. He redeemed and set you free. He is your source of life. He made you righteous and holy. He placed you into his family. He welcomed you as citizens into his kingdom. He chose you as his people. He will sustain you to the end of time, and he will pronounce you not guilty on the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this great God, this God who shames the wise and dishonors the strong and humbles the proud, does all of this because he loves you. He loved you enough to become weak for you. He loved us enough to become foolish for us. He loved us enough to become poor for us. He loved us enough to die for us. And we've been talking the last four weeks about this paradigm-shifting gospel of Jesus, how we are saved through the power of the gospel, we are called to view life through the lens of the gospel, our purpose and our decisions are to be centered on the gospel, and our relationships with one another should be informed and undergirded by the gospel. But you may ask, if you're like me, what does it really mean for us to be a gospel-centered community? What does it mean to see all of life through the lens of Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and return. What good does it do if we say the same thing? Jesus died for us and we follow him and we are determined to live like Jesus. How is all that part of maintaining unity? How can the response to division be the gospel of the crucifixion? Pastor Jason, you say those words, they sound really true and really profound uh, on Sunday, but then I go home on Monday and I don't understand what that actually means. I'm confused. Well, I have two responses. First, that's good that you're confused. <laughs> if you go home and you wonder about the gospel and you think about the gospel and you're trying to understand the gospel and, and how it applies to your life on Monday, that's a good thing because it means that you're thinking about it, you're praying about it during the week. Keep it up. That's the Word of God doing its work in your heart and in your life. My second response is that's a very good question. That is precisely what we're going to begin to unpack today as we go through this message. And over the next few weeks, we're going to look intently into what viewing life through the gospel really means. And then in the new year, after, after Christmas uh, and all that, we will continue this theme um, of practical application of the gospel to all different kinds of areas in our lives. Uh, the rest of Paul's letter uh, is explaining how the gospel is the lens through which we look at every 
facet of our life. And so that will be the rest of next year. So the gospel of the crucified Jesus is both a fact that we believe and it's a truth that we live. It is the wisdom of God that we can trust with our lives and it's the power of God to live life as he determined. The crucifixion is both something that was endured for us by Jesus, but it's also something that we mysteriously enter into with Jesus. The gospel of the crucified Messiah is both a proclamation and it's a demonstration. We as saints, as followers of Jesus, are to proclaim his crucifixion everywhere we go. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about mission, right? But just as importantly, we are to live out the crucifixion as we proclaim it. There's verses like, we preach Christ crucified, right? We have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. Paul also said, we know that our old self was crucified with Christ in order that the body of sin might be destroyed, so we must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Those are all verses from Paul. In other words, our faith and our faithfulness go hand in hand. Our words and our actions as followers of Jesus should be in sync. Our beliefs and our behaviors should coincide. Because the truth is, and I've said it before, what you believe determines how you live. Your behavior is a reflection of what you truly believe on the inside. James, the brother of Jesus, put it this way, show me your faith apart from your works or apart from what you do and I'll show you my faith by my works, by what I do, right? So the Bible teaches that the demonstration of the crucifixion goes hand in hand with the proclamation of the crucifixion. And we're going to look at what Paul has to say about this today. So we need to go back to chapter 1, verse 17 first. So if you turn in your Bibles... 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17 says, For Christ did not send me, this is Paul talking, did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. And now we pick up with Paul's argument in chapter 2, in verse 1. He says, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech, or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So we're going to talk first about gospel proclamation. And the gospel proclamation is lowly and humble. So Paul did not go to Corinth uh, proclaiming the good news of Jesus with lofty speech or eloquent speech or excellent speech. He did not preach using slick arguments or logical apologetics or with the latest debating techniques. Paul curiously states twice in our passage that eloquence and wisdom, at least in God's economy, contradict and negate God's power. Interesting. Because God's power is expressed through the cross. He says, not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Verse 17 of chapter 1. Verse 18 of chapter 1, he says, the word of the cross is the power of God. Chapter 1, verse 24, he says, Christ is the power of God. Chapter 2, verse 5, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So the crucifixion of Jesus, the message of his death on the cross, this is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes it. Now, some of us have heard that, those phrases all of our lives, and I think it kind of loses its punch. The cross is the power of God, like an equal sign, right? Cross equals power of God. That's antithetical. It's illogical. It's inconceivable. It's contradictory to say that. 
It's folly to those who are unsaved. It's weak. It's offensive. It's death. How can power equal death, right? To think that the God of the universe would determine that he would save the planet through crucifixion is sheer, is, uh, sheer nonsense to a world full of logic and wisdom. To save the world, you'll hear this all over, we must produce clean energy and live organically, right? To save the world, we must follow science and logic. To save the world, we must elect the wisest, the smartest, and wealthiest people out there. To save the world, we must summon the powers of earth and water and fire and wind to purge and purify all of creation. To save the world, we must have one government or one currency, one ideology, one humanity, right? You hear all these messages, but God says, no, to save the world, one must die on a cross. One rejected, despised, unpopular, weak, homeless man who claimed to be the Son of God, he must die by crucifixion. That's how I will save the world. Now, God could have said, I'm coming to save the world in glorious and majestic might, wielding my power like a sword, crushing my enemies, leaving their corpses in my wake. That's what one would logically expect. He could have said, I will come down hard on humanity. I will use my authority to demand obedience. In fact, I will make them obey, and thus I will save them. And that too would be expected according to the world's wisdom. But no, God said, I'm going to save people who believe that I would be humble enough to come in the flesh, die in weakness upon a cross, be buried in the earth that I created, and then quietly and unobtrusively rise from the dead. This message, when believed, will save them from their sins and give them eternal life. And this message, when lived out, will be the current of my power flowing through the lives of others. And Paul said that this is the power and wisdom of God. That's pretty amazing if you ask me. But why? Why did God choose to do it this way? Why this way? He could have chosen any way he wanted to. Why this way? God did this so that mankind could not figure it out on our own. We couldn't figure out our own way to him. You see, we are too wise to come up with a salvation scheme that included death. You know? We are too powerful to hatch a plan that includes death. And so God made it this way so we could not figure it out on our own. And so that our faith, our trust, our dependence does not rest in any way upon the wisdom of man, but only upon the power of of God as seen in the crucifixion. The wisdom of this world is all about saving ourselves. You'll hear it. How many self-help books do you find in the libraries and in the bookstores, right? How many remedies for sicknesses are out there? How many anti-aging techniques do you know of? How many society-enhancing schemes are on social media? How many psychological therapies claim to be the cure, right? None of them work. The only thing that saves, the only thing that changes lives, the only thing that gives us eternal life is the seemingly foolish message of the crucified God-man, Jesus Christ. How could God save the world through the shameful and powerless death of the Messiah? Just watch him. That's what I love about God. He does it over and over and over again as people simply believe. You see, gospel proclamation is low lowly and humble. But the next point is just as important. Gospel proclamation is crucifixion-focused. 
meaning the gospel's power is derived from the content, not the charisma. The power is in the crucifixion, not from the way that the message is presented. In fact, the weaker the vessel, the less eloquent the speaker, the smaller the individual, the more powerful the gospel seems to be. And look at what Paul said. He said in 117, I did not preach with eloquent words. In chapter 2, verse 3, he says, I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. You know, the modern, uh, the trend in modern Christian circles is to hype up the gospel, to use glitz and glamour, to present it with eloquence and, and multimedia presentations, to draw large crowds and to promote it in high definition. Nothing inherently wrong with that. Just in my opinion, it kind of borrows from the world's wisdom and logic. Rarely will you see a weak need, a fearful, trembling, stuttering individual like Paul is describing himself as stand up and speak. The concepts of obscurity and weakness and greatness seem to be opposites, right? How can anything great like God be unnoticed like a baby? How can anything obscure like burial in a ground save the world? How can anything so offensive as a bloody death bring unity? And so many of us Christians don't have a category for weak and trembling and bloody and all of that, right? We don't want to seem foolish or to come across as stupid. We want the gospel to be appealing and palatable and attractive. And so we believe that lie that we have to make the crucifixion of Jesus more attention-grabbing than all the other entertainment and advertisements out there or no one will believe it. Since when is a crucified God attractive? Since when is a bloody and broken body appealing? Since when is considering a man gasping for breath entertaining? And when did you ever hear a believer say, God grabbed my attention through high definition? No, you will often hear, my friend came over and listened to my story and he shared the gospel of Jesus with me and I trusted Jesus' death and I was saved. Or all of my life I was searching for truth. I listened to every high-profile individual I could. I wasn't until I stumbled into this church in the middle of the block and I heard a preacher talk about sin and God and Jesus and crucifixion and I knew I needed to believe. Or I was sick and in my bed and a distant relative visited me in my misery and shared the love of Jesus with me and I, it was there that I was saved. You'll hear these stories by the millions. Millions of people who are saved because of the content, not the charisma. It's not that Paul couldn't speak or put two words together. <laughs> he could. In fact, he, had, he was quite gifted at it. If you look at the book of 1 Corinthians, it's proof that he could put an argument together. But that was not Paul's strategy. He did not concern himself with the method or the eloquence or his apologetic. No, he would concern himself with delivering the crucifixion, the offensive truth of God's death. The way, the truth, and the life. The story of Almighty God who loved us so much that he came down to this sin-infested disease-ridden earth so that he himself could die. The one who is the author of life died. And the message of the crucifixion is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who will believe it. Do you believe it? If not now, this is the time. And so Paul focused his preaching on the crucifixion so that the faith of the Corinthian church would, not, would, would rest in the crucified Christ, which is the power of God. 
But Paul is subtly making another point here as well, and he will expand upon this in the remainder of his letter. He, he is not only saying that the gospel presentation is lowly and humble, and the message of Jesus' crucifixion is what contains the power, he's also saying the same thing about gospel demonstration, how we live our lives. And that's our second point. Gospel demonstration, how we live our lives, is to be lowly and humble and crucifixion-focused. Verses 3 to 5. Look what he says. And I was with you in person, right? So he was with them in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So the message of the cross is supposed to seem foolish and weak and offensive and powerless because that is how God designed it. God designed it to be content over charisma. And so we lean into God's design. We focus our faith, our trust, our, and thus our lives on the content as Paul did. Paul said, I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul said in another book to another church, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And Paul says that he presented himself to the Corinthians in demonstration of that same spirit and of that same power. So he presented himself, his life, in demonstration of the same spirit and the same power. A demonstration of the same spirit, that lowly and humble spirit. Viewing life through the lens of the gospel, living life in, cons uh, in concert with the crucifixion of Jesus is demonstration to those around us of the spirit of God. The spirit of God that is lowly and humble, willing to give up power and wealth and position and authority for the sake of others. Willing to be a servant to those who should have been his own slaves. Crucifixion is a lowly and humble form of death. It is excruciatingly painful. It is humiliatingly shameful. It is prolonged suffering. In other words, pain and grief and humility and suffering and endurance. And in the case of Jesus, he went through that pain and grief and humility and betrayal and suffering for us. He gave himself for us. God Almighty in the form of Jesus served us when none of us deserved it. And Paul put it this way in Philippians chapter 2. He said, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now hold on, I have to stop right there. Again, Paul is exhorting his readers to be in unity with one another. Be of the same mind, same love, one accord of one mind. This is not, this is, uh, not just some... Uh, saying, this is not a communal feel-good communist manifesto. This is the word of God through the mouth of Paul saying, you need to be unified. And then he goes on and tells us why. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be held onto, grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, 
And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And we've read that passage all our lives, but we have so often skimmed right over the glaring neon light reason that Paul is describing the example of Jesus. Paul is appealing to unity. And how is that unity achieved? What kind of hearts do we need to have? What kind of attitude do we need to have as we function within the body of Christ so that we are of the same mind and we agree and we say the same thing and we're not divided? It's the mindset of the cross. The response to division is the gospel of the crucifixion. Living the gospel is a demonstration of this spirit of Jesus, humble and lowly, the heart of a servant, a suffering servant whose purpose is to live for someone other than himself or herself. Living the gospel is also a demonstration of the power of God, which is the crucifixion a demonstration of power, the crucifixion focused. So Paul decided to know nothing among the Corinthians except Jesus Christ crucified. The behavior that Paul exhibited because of his belief in the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus was in keeping with the crucifixion of Jesus. Like Jesus, Paul did not minister from selfish ambition. He was not conceited or proud or stuck up or under the delusion that he always had to be right. He counted others more significant than himself. He ministered in weakness. He ministered while he trembled. He ministered with the mindset of Christ that he could have acted superior, but he didn't. Though he could have flashed his credentials, he didn't. Though he could have been served, he served. Though he could have saved his life, he gave it. Though he could have stood on his hill and died for his preference or his point of view or his perspective, he didn't. He died for his belief in the crucifixion. Of Jesus. He could have entertained to get applause. Instead, he died to himself in demonstration of the power of God. He lived his life as if he were crucified alongside Christ on the cross, dead to himself, dead to the world, dead to his own desires, dead to his pride, dead to his selfishness, dead to his own will, dead to sin. Because the crucifixion is God's design for salvation, God's wisdom, God's power. Death by crucifixion is not the end, though. It's just the beginning. This is what is so amazing about God. This is the brilliance of God. All worldly wisdom that is out there is thought up, concocted, arrived at, shared, and spread around is based on the premise that death is the end. All worldly wisdom and all worldly wise decisions are made with the understanding and belief that death is the end. But here's the deal. In God's wisdom paradigm, death is not the end. Crucifixion is not the end. It's just the beginning. Death is the gateway to resurrection where all things are new and it's going to be glorious. And so Paul focused on the gospel of Jesus' crucifixion because he knew that the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. And Paul focused on living and delivering the message of the crucifixion so that the Corinthians' faith would not rest in a clever story or an illustration or an emotional song or a hyped-up media presentation or an eloquent speaker, but their faith would rest in the power of God. Their faith would rest in the crucifixion of Jesus because the crucifix- from the crucifixion comes resurrection. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And through the wisdom and power of Jesus' death and then resurrection— Paul was alive in Christ, 
Jesus. Alive in the Spirit, in the world but not of it. Seeking first God's kingdom. Praising Jesus, selflessly giving of himself to others, saying, not my will but yours be done. Alive to righteousness. And so are all of us. And that's really living. But the ability to really live in the freedom of forgiveness and in the purpose of God's calling and the joy of serving others and in the peace of knowing that our Heavenly Father has us in the palm of his hands comes through belief in the crucifixion of Jesus. And from belief comes behavior. And Paul Paul modeled that reality that when you truly understand the truth that God was crucified for you, you have no choice but to live and die for him. If God can give up all that he was for me, then I can give up all that I am for him. And it's more than that. If God can give up all that he has for others, for his enemies, then I can give up all that I am for others too, including my enemies. As the Apostle John put it in his first letter, he said, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. We love because he first loved us. Manifested in the cross, right? Because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. And he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. You see, Jesus did not... Consider equality with God a thing to be held onto or grasped. Similarly, we have nothing to grasp. No gifts, no power, no wisdom, no position, because we have nothing if it were not for Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection for us. We boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Our life is not our own, so we glorify God with our bodies. Now you and I, we serve one another because Jesus served you and me. And now we love one another because Jesus loved me and you. And we live in community with one another because Jesus lives in community with me and with you. So the response to division is the gospel of the crucifixion. And here's the takeaway. As you go through this week, simply commit to beginning your day with something like this, a prayer like this, something like this. Father, I would, be, I would like to begin to view my life, my relationships, my interactions, my work through the lens of your crucifixion, through the lens of the crucifixion of Jesus. Please remind me throughout the day of the character of Jesus. Help me to put the interests of others before my own. Please help me to love others as you have loved me. Please help me to choose the road of humility and service. Help me to find my joy in you when I feel pain, when I suffer, when I feel betrayed, when I don't understand your plan. Help me to remember the power of viewing life through the lowly and humble crucifixion of Jesus. And you know, the Spirit of God will teach your heart what that means. And then as you go through your week, just obey what the Spirit of God leads you to do, what he lays on your heart to do. For instance, do your work at your place of employment humbly as unto the Lord and not for selfish ambition. Consider your spouse as more significant than yourself in the decisions that you make. When you could act superior, don't bring attention to yourself. Point out someone else's achievements. When you could let someone else do the menial, unseen jobs that need to be done, go ahead and do it yourself. Serve someone you normally would not. When you have every reason to hate, don't. 
love that person by acting in kindness toward them. You see, living in light of the crucifixion is painful because it costs us something. Being a gospel-centered community is more than having a cross on our roof and singing uh, songs about Jesus dying for us. Viewing life through the lens of the gospel is not about virtue signaling. It's about living a life of virtue, a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Listen to this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Let's pray. Father, your word is true. Sometimes it's hard to hear. Hard to imagine that You, our God, would love us so much that you would die for us. That's unbelievable. I mean, it is believable because we believe it, but it's unfathomable to us that you, the creator of life, would choose to die for us. The crucifixion of Jesus is the way to life. Thank you. Please cause us to view our lives, our relationships, our interactions, our work through the lens of the crucifixion of your Son. Please remind us throughout the day of the character of Jesus. Help us to put the interests of others before our own. Please help us to love others as you have loved us. Please help us to choose the road of humility and service. Help us to find our joy in you when we are in pain, when we do suffer, when we feel betrayed, when we don't understand what you're doing. God, we're weak. Show us what it means to be crucified with Christ. Convince us that it is no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. In the life we now live in the flesh, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Thank you for wisely and powerfully providing us a means of salvation from the sinfulness in our hearts and providing us a means of unity and oneness with you and with one another. It's a beautiful thing through the humble and lowly crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Thank you for this. We are eternally grateful and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.